Welcome, everyone, to the inaugural Vince August podcast, where I, Vince August, will provide commentary into social hot topics uh, rather than use this episode to bore you with my background and give credibility to my opinions. Uh, what I'm going to do is just jump right in to things happening in the media, uh, happening in society. Uh, I will support my positions with my background, and I'll let you decide whether I know what I'm talking about or I'm just another over-opinionated podcaster, audio blogger. Um, so let's not waste any time. Let's dive right into this. Uh, the first topic I'm going to be covering is athletes and celebrities in trouble, uh, dealing with actual court, dealing with their employers, and the court of public opinion, uh, which seems to really affect all of those things. Um, it shouldn't affect at least two of them, but it seems to be affecting all of them. And, and we're going to start off with the one that's been probably beaten to death by the time of this recording, which is October 1st, 2014, but it's the Ray Rice situation in the NFL. Uh, this is a topic that I can definitely come in from a, a position of expertise. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you may know that I was a municipal court judge in New Jersey for six years before being given an ultimatum by the Supreme Court of New Jersey being forced to choose between being an entertainer or a judge. Uh, I chose entertainer, and here I am podcasting. For more of that information, you could look up uh, Vince August, my website. Uh, you can look me up online, Google Joking Judge, and you'll see all of the background on that. But I was a municipal court judge, and one of the things you deal with as a municipal court judge is domestic violence. Um, if there's an act of domestic violence in the state of New Jersey, and it occurs after Superior Court hours, which is 4.30 in the afternoon, all the way until 8.30 the next morning, police officers are required to call municipal court judges to deal with issuing restraining orders. I would get calls in the middle of the night. Um, numerous times I would speak to police officers, uh, the complainants, uh, victims, whatever, however you want to describe them, and sometimes even the accused. To get a feel for the case, I would take contemporaneous notes and then have to make a decision as to whether or not to issue a restraining order or not. With regards to the Ray Rice situation, uh, restraining order was issued and eventually the matter was dealt with in court, in the Superior Court. Now, what happens when the case gets sent to the Superior Court? A prosecutor is assigned to the case and the prosecutor speaks to the victim, in this case, Janae Rice. And Janae Rice will give the prosecutor the ammunition the prosecutor needs to prosecute the claim or, in certain circumstances, decide that she doesn't want to give any information. She wants to try to resolve the matter in the least intrusive methods for their relationship and, and not get the court involved. And a prosecutor really has little leeway when a victim does that, if a victim does not want to cooperate, alleged victim doesn't want to cooperate, there's really little the prosecutor can do. Once the case is adjudicated, um, if there's a restraining order, final restraining order put into effect, then you have your restraining order. If it's not put into effect and it's vacated and the case is over, it's over. 
Um, a victim can always come back and file another restraining order later on. And as judges, we always gave that instruction. In the Ray Rice situation, the NFL had its policy with regards to how to deal with players, or I guess anyone in that for that instance that works for the NFL, and what their suspension period would be. In this case, it was six games. The NFL decided on suspending Ray Rice for two games. And then a video surfaced later on. With regards to the video, the video was held by the casino, uh, the Revel Casino, which at the time was in operation when they were there, but it's since closed. And someone leaked the video to TMZ. TMZ is saying, hey, listen, we didn't work that hard to get this video. They just handed it over. The video would have not been usable for the NFL because they don't own the rights to the video. And if a state trooper sent the video to the NFL, once again, the NFL wouldn't have a right to really use that video because they don't have ownership of the video, one, and two, it would have been illegally obtained. So the NFL really never had the right to use or rely on that video in reaching its decision. The point of all of this is the NFL made a decision, and their decision was two games. The video leaks, and then the public went crazy because of what they're seeing in that video, which was really a snippet of Ray Rice seemingly throwing a left hook at Janae, hitting her, and she violently struck her head within the elevator, got knocked out. Then he drags her out of the elevator. Public opinion went wild on this. How can the NFL only suspend him two games? This is ridiculous. Then what the NFL does to appease its sponsors and the National Organization of Women and everyone else, they then do what everyone seems to do in society in the United States today, which is knee-jerk reaction. And usually a knee-jerk reaction is an overreaction. And in my opinion, in this case, it was an extreme overreaction. They suspend Ray Rice indefinitely, what seems to be for at least the season, which is 16 games. Their own standards set the suspension at a maximum of six games. They went with two. They now exceed it and go to 16 minimum, potentially more. The first thing I have a problem with here is the court of public opinion jumping in and forcing the NFL, whether it be by sponsorship, withdrawing money, protesting, and trying to force their hand into doing something more than what was done in court and what is in their policy and procedures for their league. If you have a six-game suspension for this and that's the way you treat it, then that's what it should have been. It should have been anywhere from zero to six games, period. This society is getting out of control with using influence to make organizations like the NFL do worse than what they've already promulgated in their rules. If they say it's six game, Roger Goodell, my biggest problem with how he handled this thing was he basically bowed down to the public opinion and panicked and Rather than say, hey, listen, we looked at all the facts. We looked at everything we needed to look at. We spoke to all the parties, and we felt two games was sufficient. When the video comes out, say, listen, all you're seeing is the video. 
You didn't get a chance to speak to Ray Rice. You didn't speak to Janae Rice. No one out there really spoke to Janae Rice. Who in the public had an opportunity to speak to Janae Rice? No one did. I'll tell you right now, no one did. And, and the fact that people are automatically stepping into Janae Rice's shoes and saying, you know what? She doesn't know what she's saying. She doesn't know what she's doing. Well, how do you know? You don't. And this is where public opinion gets out of control and gets crazy. And people start speaking from a position of facts that they really don't have. No one knows what happened on that elevator other than what we're seeing. We don't know what happened before. And we really don't know what happened after she gets off the elevator and she's laying on the ground. Listen, is domestic violence despicable? No. All violence is despicable. I don't care if it's domestic violence or any other. All of it is. We can't signal out domestic violence and say, oh, this is worse than if it was two strangers. No, it's all bad. If a man hit any woman on the elevator, it would be bad. So let's not all of a sudden say, well, domestic violence gets this special class, special category. No, it's all the same. And the problem right now is We're trying to treat certain people and certain acts different. And here's the perfect example. Hope Solo is the goalie for the United States women's national soccer team. She committed an act of domestic violence, I believe it was last summer in 2013 in Washington State. Where was the outrage towards Hope Solo that we are seeing towards Ray Rice It was non-existent. Now, if it was non-existent because it was soccer as opposed to football, wrong. If it was non-existent because it was a woman hitting another woman and a child as opposed to a man, a football player, a rugged man hitting a defenseless woman, again, wrong. And this is the point of all this. We have to stop drawing arbitrary lines And making arbitrary decisions as to, well, you know what? It's worse if it's a football player, male hitting a woman. It's not as bad. Hope Solo's situation is different. No, you're either going to treat them all in a vacuum and treat them all the same, or we're going to take them on a case-by-case basis. And if we're going to do that, then we need to look at each situation and stop calling it domestic violence and say, look, here's what happened here. The court of public opinion and from my estimation, is overreacting and trying to create a second punishment for Ray Rice, if not a third punishment for Ray Rice. He was punished in court. He had to deal with the New Jersey Municipal Court on the lower level when the restraining order was issued. He had to deal with the Superior Court in Atlanta County when he had to go back to court for the restraining order hearing. Then he had to deal with his employer, the NFL, and the suspension there. At that point, Ray Rice has been punished not once, but twice. Now the court of public opinion comes in, and the video surfaces, and everybody starts screaming, and then you have advertisers and everyone else screaming, we're going to protest. Now, advertisers have the absolute right to pull They're advertising from the NFL. And you know what? If I was Roger Goodell, I would say, go ahead, do it. This one incident is not going to sink the NFL. You know what? You want to walk away 
Pepsi, fine, we'll go talk to Coke. You want to walk away, Budweiser, fine, we'll go talk to Miller or whatever beer company is out there. I don't even know. But you, you bring another advertiser in. The NFL was going to survive this one way or another. So the, the court of public opinion here is acting as a third-tier punishment or looking to somehow create a, a harsher punishment on the second tier, which is the employer. But it's being done in such a cherry-picking manner. It's being done in such an arbitrary manner because it didn't happen with Hope Solo. Where is the outrage from the public when dealing with Real Housewife of New Jersey cast member Teresa Judice, as well as her husband Joe Judice, which they're being sentenced tomorrow, October 2nd, 2014, in a tax court in the federal court in Newark, New Jersey. They admitted... The tax fraud. They pled guilty to a charge that will involve jail time for at least one of them. Could have involved jail time for both of them, but for the fact that their husband and wife and normally in these situations in law, a judge will look at the situation and say it's a husband and wife. One is going to fall on the sword harder than the other one because we have kids in this situation. We're going to say that one had more knowledge than the other one did. Therefore, we're going to be harsher on the husband than the wife in this situation. Fine. That's the way the court's going to deal with it. Where is the outrage from the National Organization of Women that went crazy with Ray Rice? Why aren't the National Organization of Women looking at the Real Housewives of New Jersey and saying, you know what, we don't like the way women are being portrayed here. And we have one woman in particular who's flipping tables on the show. She's violating laws. You know what, she makes women nationwide look bad. This is not what we want the image for young women out there to think this is what a housewife does. This is how a housewife acts. And you know what, bravo, take Teresa Judice off your show. Where is that outrage? Where is the suspension for Teresa Judice from the Housewives of New Jersey? We're not seeing it. And again, this is the public and the court of public opinion cherry-picking what they want to go after. And they're going after the NFL because the NFL is bigger game. This is, a, you're, this is going after a big 12-point buck. As, oppo- as opposed to some smaller game hunting squirrel in the woods. The NFL right now, this is the multi-billion dollar company in the United States. And this makes the bigger story. And the media loves the bigger story. They're not going to go after Hope Solo in the far less popular, if even recognizable, other than the four times a year you see the Women's World Cup or maybe in the Olympics, women's soccer. They're not going to go after Real Housewife of New Jersey star Teresa Judice on this tiny Bravo network. You know, maybe tiny is the wrong way to describe it, but on this Bravo network, which is a cable network, you know, with this one TV show on this one cast member living somewhere in northern New Jersey. You know what? That's not big game. The NFL, Ray Rice, and Roger Goodell, the $40 million a year salary executive, that's who we want to take down. And that's what our media, and that's what some of these organizations like Now and all of the other companies out there that all of a sudden wanted to take this righteous approach 
towards, you know, we're, we're different. We don't want to see this type of behavior. You know, we're, we're not like the other companies. We're willing to walk away from the NFL. If I was Roger Goodell, I would have called their bluff. And I would have said, you know what? We issued our punishment. And much like Michael Vick, listen, I am one of the biggest animal lovers you will ever see. If you've ever been to my shows, you've seen my bits on hunting and how I despise hunters. The only tattoo on my body is of my last dog, Spike, a Maltese. I had an imprint taken of his paw, and I had a tattoo artist do an actual size drawing and rendition of his paw print and I put it on my left bicep because that's where my dog slept every night. That's how much I loved my dog. Michael Vick was punished. He went to jail. At the point of leaving jail, after punishment, he has a right to gainful employment. He has a right to go back to the NFL. He's paid his debt to society. He has a right to work. Because if we're going to look at these people like Ray Rice and we're going to say, you know what? I don't like what the court system did to you. You weren't punished enough. We're going to punish you more. We want you to suffer further consequences. You know what, Michael Vick? You went to jail. You deserve worse. Mike Tyson, you went to jail. You deserve worse. You know what? We don't want you to even be members of our society. Then what the hell do we have jails for? Then why even let these people out of jail? then why have a limit on sentences? Then just lock them up and throw away the key because if we don't want them back in society, if we don't want them assimilating back into society and having an opportunity to work and become better and right their wrong, then why even have jails with release programs? Then, then, then you don't believe in the rehabilitation process. Then you don't believe that someone can make a mistake in life and overcome that mistake. And again, we pick and choose our mistakes. If you did drugs in your life and were a drug addict, somehow a person, when they announce that they've been clean and sober for five years, they get these rounds of applauses. What about the time period that they weren't clean and sober? What about the damage they did to lives during that time period? That how is somehow That time period is somehow immediately forgiven. Because of the clean and sober period. So if I was a screw-up and a junkie for the first 35 years of my life, but between age 35 and 40, I'm clean and sober. I say I'm clean and sober. Everyone gives me a standing ovation, round of applause. That erases the first 35 years of damage. This is the way our society operates. So we're going to take the Ray Rice situation, which is an isolated incident on an elevator once. This is what we're going to do. We're going to define his character. By a time period in a video that's what? A minute and a half long? Three minutes long? You can't do that. We have to wake up, people. We have to stop being so punitive in our ways. This is what we've become. We've become this punitive society that is constantly seeking to punish. We're constantly seeking to... We're dying to see people roll out the apology podium... And constantly say, I'm sorry, admit their guilt, we want to shame them to death, and then decide later on, well, you know what, they've had enough, now we can bring them out of their cave, out of their hole we've backed them into. That's really disgusting that that's where our society has gone. You know what, we have a court system. The court system, for the most part, works. I am an 
I'm a big part of it. I was a judge for six years. I've been an attorney since 1996 in the state of New Jersey. I'm admitted in New York, New Jersey, District of Columbia. I've been sworn into the Supreme Court of the United States. I am part of the judicial system. I'm here to tell you, for the most part, it works. It really does. Does it have flaws? Everything has flaws. Every the, Our education system is, is unbelievably falling apart. Our political system is falling apart. Everything has flaws. But as a society and the reaction of the people and the public, that's ultimately the one thing that we have to keep together because if our society and our public opinion at least has some grain of intelligence, hopefully that will start affecting the other areas of society that are falling apart. So you know what? Trust the legal system. Stop this court of public opinion. It's really getting out of control. And I think Roger Goodell screwed up on this thing. He should have stood his ground. And I think more people need to stand their grounds. When the court of public opinion starts screaming out, say, no, listen, you don't know all the facts because most of the time they don't. You don't know the information. We had a full investigation. You want to question my investigation? You can question it all you want. This is what we decide. You don't like my company? You don't like our position? Go watch something else. Don't watch the NFL. Go watch arena football. You know what? Baseball's on. Go watch baseball. Hockey's starting soon. So is the NBA. You don't have to watch our product if you don't like our product. And the other thing that bothers me is, you know what? What are football players doing on a Sunday that we are cheering? We're cheering the brutality of probably the most violent sport in this country. It's 60 minutes of grown men, oversized, developed men, athletes that are have tremendous strength, speed, agility, pounding each other. And we love to see the big hit. We love to see this pounding and we cheer it. They're gladiators. They're gladiators in the arena. And all of the people filling the arena are biggest two events in this country are the Super Bowl and the Oscars. We fill the arena and we cheer the gladiators. We're cheering for the blood. And then when they step out in the public and they commit an act like this, then we yell at the gladiator, shame on you. Shame. Oh, the other one, Adrian Peterson with the situation with his son. Listen, there's not a fine line. There's a big, thick line between discipline and abuse and you know what anybody out there knows it you know it when you see it and this country with regards to children and and i'm going to get into this in another podcast i'm sure has taken such an incredible step backwards in the raising of our children we are coddling our children to a level that we are not equipped we are not equipping them with the tools that they're going to need to succeed in society. Discipline is a necessary function in raising a child. You need discipline. Sometimes, I'm sorry, that discipline comes in the form of some type of spanking. I'm not saying abusing a child, but you know what? I was hit with a wooden spoon. I would never in a million years say I was abused. I know other kids that were raised in my neighborhood, Hackensack, New Jersey, that were hit with belts. A belt smack across the behind. And I could tell you right now, 
all of those kids who are now adults would tell you it was an abuse. The switch that they're referring to in the Adrian Peterson case, if you watch, if you've ever seen Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip, he talks about his mother used to make him go into the backyard and pull out this switch. Basically, it's a long thin branch from a plant and you would pull the leaves off of the switch and you would bring it back in. I can tell you right now in Hackensack, New Jersey, as kids, we used to pick switches, pull the leaves off and have switch fights. And we used to hit each other with the switches. This was a part of our culture. This was a part of Adrian Peterson's culture and his upbringing. If it was abuse, you would know it. If that kid was bruised, and he crossed the line, fine, you deal with him. If he is doing what his parents did, whether it be wooden spoon or belt, and it doesn't rise to the level of abuse, we have to stop raising everyone's kids in this country. We have to stop letting our government, our schools, and the public intrude into our homes And start telling us how to raise children. This is absolutely outrageous that the court of public opinion is going to step into the Peterson household and say, you know what? No, you're not raising your child right. What is the right way to discipline a child? Is there a book out there? Is there a pamphlet out there? Is there something out there that says there's a right and wrong way to do it? Because as far as I'm concerned... And my interaction with children, and I've got a teaching certificate and I started substitute teaching recently. I've given lectures at schools. I think we're failing our children with the way we're raising them. I'm sorry, but we are failing them. And I think part of the failure is we have a fear. Parents have a fear. Teachers have a We're afraid of the kids. We're afraid of disturbing their kids. We're afraid of hurting the kids. And we're putting in all types of safeguards to protect them. The bullying thing. Oh, my God, you have to sign a bullying contract. You think bullying stops at childhood? There is bullying in most corporations. There is bullying police forces. There is bullying in colleges. There is bullying in sports. There's bullying in the highest corporate offices throughout this country. You have to teach your child how to deal with the bully rather than try to stop bullying and and eliminate bullying. You're not going to eliminate bullying. Are you kidding me? I see husbands and wives in non-domestic violence situations bullying each other. I see women bullying their husbands, husbands bullying their women. I see it between brother and sister. So this notion we're going to eliminate bullying is ridiculous. Rather than try to eliminate it, equip your child with the tools they need to overcome the bully. Whether that be, you know what? Walk away. You know what? Tell that bully they're an asshole. You know what? Bully them back. Don't get pushed around. Push back. Until you teach your child to deal with that situation, your child is going to become dependent on you coming to the rescue every time. And you know what? You're not always going to be there. So with regards to Adrian Peterson and the public stepping in and, and determining how he should be raising his child, That's ridiculous. And you know what? When Richard Pryor talked about the switches and getting hit with the switches, audiences laughed. They laughed back then because that's what we all went through. We all endured. Do you think an audience would laugh at something that was child abuse at any stage during our history? Never. 
So you know what? Everyone need that this court of public opinion with regards to, you know, Adrian Peterson, these athletes and the punishment and how people should be dealt with everyone. Take a step back. Stop your thirst for blood. Stop your thirst for the apology podium. Stop looking to crush people. Oh my God, we're so negative in this society. Even every every blogger out there is complaining and bitching and whining. Hey, listen, I'm complaining, bitching and whining right now about the complaining, bitching and whining. Stop it. Grow up. Let people deal with their situations. Stop trying to look for more blood. The next topic I want to get into kind of has a little bit of a crossover here, and it, it deals with a new TV show that is out on ABC. It's called Blackish, and the creator is Kenya Barris. And what the, the show is is a black family. This this is the 2010 version, I guess, of the Cosby Show. And to to sum it up in a nutshell, the show deals with assimilation coming at a price. And, you know, a black family assimilating into, you know, a, a white neighborhood and trying to keep black roots. And there's so many reasons why I love this show. And it has less to do with the laughs and whether it's entertaining and the principle of this show being on television. First reason is I believe assimilation is so dangerous. I don't want to see backgrounds assimilate and morph into one type of people. To me, the great thing about growing up in Hackensack, New Jersey, was the fact that we were Italian immigrants. There were a bunch of Italian immigrants. There were a bunch of Spanish immigrants. We had a a very large portion of our neighborhood was black, African-American and then, of course, there was, you know, the white kids, the more traditional white kids, you know, whatever you want to call them, Irish, um, German, you know, different Caucasian races. And it's funny because I, I almost exclude the Italians from the Caucasians because as immigrants, I have to tell you, I was constantly ridiculed. I was constantly made, made fun of Dago, Wap, Guinea. I heard it all. And as the son of immigrants who spoke with heavy Italian accents, I grew up with a lot of kids that used to make fun of my parents, kids that used to make fun of me, whether it be the way I dressed, the way we dealt with things, um, the fact that I didn't grow up reading. Uh, my parents, were, as Italian immigrants, didn't read certain storybooks to me as a kid. I didn't know what Little Red Riding Hood was. I didn't know what you know Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I didn't know any of those storybooks. I certainly didn't grow up with Disney. That was not a part of my parents' culture growing up in Italy. They moved to this country in the late 50s. They were already in their 20s. So they, they did not know what you know that American childhood was. They grew up during World War II. Their country was German-occupied. My father had vivid images of seeing a Nazi uniform and, and seeing soldiers walk through basically his backyard. They didn't grow up with the same things that most Americans grow up with. And I never considered myself Americanized as a child. We had a very different background. And you know what? I Looking back now, I love it. I loved it. And I still love it now. I love the fact that my first language was Italian. I spoke it fluently in the house. And I'm, I'm kind of disgusted that my grammar, my Italian grammar has fallen off. I don't like the fact that we have this great melting pot. 
and it's turning into a morphing pot. You know what? I would rather have all different types of people that can coexist and live together than all different types of people have to assimilate and turn into one big society. I like that we have different cultures. Now, that doesn't mean I'm against interracial marriage or anything like that. Don't take this the wrong way. I love that too. But that doesn't mean we're morphing two backgrounds. That means two backgrounds are coming together. And those children should know what each background is. One of the things that used to bother me most when you used to ask a a kid, when you ask somebody, what's your background? I'm a mutt. Well, what does that mean? Uh, my grandmother's German, my grandfather's Irish, this one's Italian, this one's... And they say it as if it's a throwaway. There's no pride in that culture or heritage. We went to Ireland uh, this summer on vacation, and we, we had a couple people that were you know, of Irish descent. And to me, to be able to go into Ireland, to walk into a store and to see your, your plaque, your, your name, okay... Your, you know, the, the shield and, and the different, you know, backgrounds and, and the history of your name and the history of your genealogy to me is amazing. I love that. I love seeing the Irish people be able to trace their roots and see all of that. And we're trying to almost extinguish that in our society and say, you know what? We're all going to morph and meld into one big America. And I think that's terrible because I think it will force us to lose touch with the rest of the world. You can't put a dome over this country and forget about what's going on in the outside world. And one of the best things you could do, and I know it's difficult for a lot of people in this economy, you know what? Go visit another country because seeing the people here from that country will never give you a true perspective into what those people are like. What those people are actually like. Go to the country and see them in their country, in their environment. And you will have a different perspective of those people. Don't judge a foreign country by the people that are here, especially when we're all trying to assimilate them. That's the problem here. We're going to try to assimilate everybody into one big melting pot, lose sight of who is who and what is what, but yet seem to know everything and how to deal with the world and have an opinion on foreign affairs? No, I, I, I don't like it. And I, that's why I love this show, Blackish, because you know what? It's about assimilation and hopefully they treat it the right way. I really hope they treat it the right way and that they show, you know what? Assimilating to a certain degree is fine. Listen, speak the language. Fine. Okay. Get to know what the American customs are and respect them. Yes, that's assimilating. But the fact that we all need to act and behave the same way is absolutely disgusting. I can't stand it. And you know what? I I love our individuality. Love it. And I want to see it continue. So I hope this show plays off of that. I think it would really be great with regards to that. The second reason I love the show is I'm hoping it goes to a point of protecting free speech at all costs. I hope it hits on the racial stereotypes that so many people are afraid of. And so many people now just are, it's so taboo. Oh my God, you can't, we need more shows like this. Look, one of the greatest shows in the history of television was the show All in the Family. And 
if somehow, someway, there's a young listener that doesn't know what All in the Family is, Google it. You like to Google young people? Google All in the Family. It was a show in the 70s that dealt with a person who was racist to a degree, liked to play on the racial stereotypes of especially a, a, a Polish son-in-law he used to refer to as a Polak, um, a, a black neighbor, and it showed his ignorance. And it was funny. It was brilliant. In fact, we celebrated this show at our Emmys in 2014, recognizing Gene Stapleton and Carol O'Connor, the actors, the main actors behind the show. One of the greatest uh, one of the greatest comedic minds, Rob Reiner, a part of the show. I mean, this is what comedy was. If you tried to pitch that show today, you would never get past the first sentence in a pitch meeting with any network or production company. They will look at you and say, are you nuts? You want us to put that on television? We're going to get letters. We're not going to get sponsors. And that's ridiculous. To me, some of the most important television shows on TV today, whether you like them or not, whether you find them funny or not, South Park is such an important show because South Park does what you should do to the First Amendment and free speech. It pushes the envelope all the way to the line and across the line. The one thing you're going to get from me, from every single podcast I do, I am going to pound you with free speech, free speech, free speech. The most important thing we can do in this society is communicate and we're losing it. And we need to protect communication at all cost. And it needs to be protected to the extremes. Whether you find South Park funny or not, it's necessary. It's necessary to protect that outer boundary of free speech. Family Guy, another show, pushing the envelope. Seth MacFarlane with his movies, pushing the envelope. You know, this gets back to, especially dealing with the show Blackish, the use of the N-word. I flip-flop both ways. First of all, I, the notion of extinguishing the N-word is ridiculous. You cannot extinguish a word that has so much power in a history of our society. You can't just determine, you know what, we're going to get rid of it. Especially in art. Especially in things like music. If it's an expression for a rapper, for a singer, let them use it. I don't care what the outlet is. I don't care... If it's derogatory or not, if it's in art, it's protected. The use of the N-word in Django Unchained, you cannot make a movie about slavery and not use the N-word. It's impossible. It's revisionist history. And I know Spike Lee has a big problem with Quentin Tarantino using the N-word in his movies and the overuse of the N-word. But you know what? Here's the problem with your point, Spike Lee. Is it used in society? Is it used in the aspects of society that he's portraying in his films? If it is, then it should be in there. It has to be in there. Because if you want to portray society in a truthful way, then that's the way to do it. You know, when the movie Pearl Harbor came out, which was an awful movie, Ben Affleck, uh, I forget the the name of the other actor, um, but it... I remember that there were complaints by Japanese Americans about the movie saying, you know what, 
This movie, showing a movie about Pearl Harbor really portrays Japanese Americans in a bad light. First of all, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. The fact remains, December 7, 1941, Japanese military attacked a Hawaiian air base when we were in a non-war situation at that point. It was a surprise attack, and many people lost their lives. Period. End of story. If you think that fact, that historical fact, somehow portrays Japanese Americans in a bad light, well, you know what? Too bad. That's history. And to say, to show it in a movie, you know what? You're going to make us look bad. No. We are showing what happened. The scars and wounds have since been healed. The relationship has taken a turn. And that's why it's necessary to show it the way it happened. Because if you show that horrific event the way it happened, and you show the Japanese-United States relationship today, you can say, you know what? Look, we've managed to overcome that horrific event. And there was another horrific event which occurred after that, the dropping of two atomic bombs on Japan. Okay, so talk about forgiveness. Talk about two countries that had to overcome a lot, a sneak attack and annihilating people in an unbelievable, horrific manner with an atomic bomb creating black rain, black ash falling from the sky. There's no need for revisionist history. There's no need to change all of that. Art form like television, film, music needs to be protected to the highest degree. So you know what? If you don't like the show Blackish, if you're African-American and say, you know what? This doesn't put us in a positive light. You know what? Don't watch the show. Okay? If you want to see the Huxtables and that's, you know what? That's the way we want black people to be perceived. You know what? That same thing for me as an Italian. Listen, did I think the Sopranos was a proper portrayal of Italian-Americans? Not my family. I could tell you that right now. We didn't act like that. I know how to say the word that's spelled A-S-K. It's ask. I never said it acts once in my life. Okay? A cannoli. The Italian pastry is not a cannoli. I had to watch that show. I had to. But, you know, I watched that show, and I thought to myself, this is not a proper portrayal of Italian-Americans, at least not in my family. However, did that show properly portray some Italian-Americans out there? Absolutely, without question, no doubt about it. Which is why I never had a problem with the show. I know some Italian-Americans had a problem with the show. This makes us look like I don't have a problem with it. The movie's The Godfather. You know what? It shows Italians as old mobsters. You know what? I had to grow up. I grew up as a kid being from Sicilian immigrants. I used to hear it all the time. Oh, is your family in a mob? Your family in a mob? Listen, again, stereotypes exist because there are some fact behind the stereotypes. And I love the movie The Godfather. Godfather 1 and 2 cinematic masterpieces. 3 should have been followed by Godfather 4, the apology for part 3. But these are necessary shows. These are necessary aspects of our society. We need these shows. So I applaud Kenya Barris. I applaud her show Blackish. I hope it does well. I really hope it succeeds for the reasons I set forth. One, because society and assimilation, it has to be shown in the right light. And two, the idea that we need these shows to come back. We need All in the Family to come back. We need South Park, Family Guy, all of these shows to thrive. We have to stop taking these safe choices. I love Breaking Bad. I love House of Cards. I love these shows that push the envelope. Let's push the envelope because real life pushes the envelope. Why shouldn't art imitate life?
Here are the quick hits for the rest of this podcast and, and the week. Uh, one, Michael Phelps got his second DWI, which, showing, which shows everyone that he not only swims like a fish, he actually drinks like a fish. And considering the fact that he's also had some fun with, with smoking pot, as my friend Anthony said to me, he must be a puffer fish. Um, Michael, get some help. You, you need some help or just swim everywhere you have to go. I don't know what to tell you. Derek Jeter retired, and his retirement to me was great because Derek Jeter transcends sports by showing anybody out there that as a child, if you have a dream, you could live it. His dream was to play for the New York Yankees, and he lived it. He played his entire career for the New York Yankees, an all-star Hall of Fame career. He left the way he wanted to leave the game. He played the game right, did not get in trouble like all of these other athletes were seeing, and I applaud him for that. Great job, Derek Jeter, on living your dream. Um, the Ebola virus is really scary, and it, it's taking over. And a lot of people are, are not paying attention to this thing, and it's coming to the United States, and you need to look up the Ebola virus. It causes uncontrolled bleeding inside and outside of the body. That's unbelievable that there's something that causes uncontrollable bleeding other than my fiance and our bank account, which controls, which is uncontrollable spending. But that's another story. But this is a real threat, people. Look at the Ebola virus and, you know, be educated as to what's going on. People read the news. It's amazing how many people don't read the news. Um, October 1st in the Northeast especially means goodbye flip-flops, hello Uggs, thank God I am not a foot person i hate looking at feet i hate looking at toes so you know what the fact that they're going to be nice and covered all over again is great however now i'm seeing a new fashion statement toeless boots which i don't understand toeless boots to me is like a ski vest okay your chest is cold but your somehow your arms are not okay your foot ankle calf is somehow cold, but your toes are not. You're going to expose your toes. I, I can't even understand the concept of wearing boots in the wintertime and saying, ah, you know what, I'm going to expose the one thing that gets the coldest the fastest. Um, to me, that's almost like wearing crotchless underwear. What, what's the point? Um, so I don't understand that fashion, but goodbye toes. Hopefully, Uggs are back in in full force. Um, that's going to conclude this first podcast. Thank you for joining me. And please, if you enjoyed this podcast, spread the word. If you hate the podcast, spread the word. Because you know what? Howard Stern made a living of having people listen to his podcast. I'm sorry, his radio show that hated him as much as liked him because at least he was being provocative. He was making you think. He was making you feel. That's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to make you think. I'm trying to make you feel. And I'm going to end every show the same way with one of my favorite quotes. Whatever you do, do it well. Do it so well that when people see you do it, they will want to come back and see you do it again. And they will want to bring others to show them how well you do what you do. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first podcast of Vince August. Please, again, spread the word. Tell all your friends, I am Vince August.